I know a lot of Christians, and from what I can gather, most of the Christians that I know consider themselves to be generous people. And uh, some of them really are. And I have experienced the generosity of many brothers and sisters time and time again. And that has been such a blessing to me and to my family. But in general, Christians think of themselves as, as generous because we give. And uh, because we give, well, surely that means that we're generous. Why would we give if we're not generous? Well, I would like to suggest to you tonight that giving and generosity are not necessarily the same thing at all. Tonight I want to talk about what it means to have a truly generous heart. We give, people and companies give for kinds of reasons. We give because it, it makes us feel good. We give because it makes us look good sometimes. We give because we get a tax break. We give because God has commanded us to and we want to be obedient. And because we might get something back in return. These are all motivations and they're all valid. There's nothing wrong with any one of them. But they do not necessarily reflect a generous heart. Jesus told a story of a generous heart once. I want to have a quick look at that in Luke chapter 10. So if you have scriptures with you, please turn Luke chapter 10. We're going we're gonna to read from verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he was filled with compassion. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Now we've 
I'm sure, heard the story of the Good Samaritan a number of times on Sundays or maybe in our own reading. And we can't help but, but judge the, the priest and the Levite for the, just the rubbish way that they treated this poor guy in the story. They get a real bum rap for this. But the truth is, there was nothing particularly scandalous about them not coming to help the injured man. According to the law of Moses, around which the priest's entire life was built, the priest was forbidden to touch a dead body, as it would make him ritually unclean and unable to perform the duties at the temple. So the priest wasn't going to take the risk of attending to a man who was dying. The Levite was a member of the tribe that served at the temple as well and assisted the priests in their duties. And if he became defiled by a dying man, he would be unable to perform the tasks God had assigned him to do. So he didn't take the risk. Their response to the dying man would have made perfect sense to the Jewish audience listening to Jesus tell the story 2,000 years ago in Israel. That's what you would expect them to do in the circumstance. The scandalous part of the story is not that the Jewish characters didn't help the man. The scandalous part was that the Samaritan did. The relationship between the Samaritans, a people of mixed race, and the Jews back then is probably not much different from the relationship between Israelis and Palestinians now. Contempt, mistrust, disdain, a long history of animosity. The Samaritan had every cultural reason not to help the dying Jew. But he did. Not because the law commanded him to. Not because it would make him look good to his friends. Because it wouldn't. Not because he would receive a reward. Because he didn't. But because he was filled with compassion for a man in need. His generosity came from a compassionate heart, not law and legalism. In fact, law and legalism did not move the priest or the Levite to do anything except cross the road. That was how they interpreted the law, which goes to show they didn't really get what the spirit of the law was at all. The concern here is not for the need of the person, but for the requirement of the law. That was their priority. And this is not a generous heart. It may be obedient, but it's not generous. Jesus has higher hopes for us than this. In the Old Testament, God's people tithed 10% of their harvest to the priests and Levites because the law told them to. In the New Testament, people sold houses and gave them money to, for the care of the poor because they saw the need and they were filled with compassion. This was the example that we were given to follow. Now, as my, our brother pointed out earlier, there are scriptures which seem to suggest that God is going to pay us back and multiply what we give him, and what sounds like the most awesome investment scheme ever 
KiwiSaver is lame compared to what some would suggest God will do for us. So pretty much flag KiwiSaver. I'm with Tower. They're giving me jack. But God's going to give me tenfold. That's awesome. I don't know why more people don't do this. We'll all be rich. But you get verses like this in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Sounds pretty good. How do you read that verse? What does it say to you? I've heard this scripture quoted passionately by a number of preachers who all presented this promise as an invitation to sign up to an investment scheme. The more you give the church financially, the more God will give you back financially. The actual promise that God is making here, however, is not for individual profit. But we can't help but make everything we read in Scripture about us. This is a promise to the nation of Israel. That is, the nation fulfills the obligation to the law. God promises you will not go hungry. In fact, you will have plenty and more than you need. And he said, test me in this. I'm I'm going to fulfill this. And he goes on to then promise protection for the crops. You will have more than you need. You will have plenty because I'll look after the crops. I'll look after the harvests. Somehow we translate that to our time now and make it the more you give in your offering to the church, the more God will give you back. You want a pay rise? Give more at church. Now I've I've heard testimonies from people where God has blessed them when they have received a personal challenge from him to give, give beyond their means in certain circumstances, and they have honoured that, and they have seen God do something very special in their life financially. And I don't want to take anything away from those testimonies whatsoever. And I've seen God do amazing things in my own life. But the problem when we take a scripture like that and make it into an investment scheme is that we change the game of the motivation. The motivation becomes what we get back. Suddenly it has nothing to do with God, but it's all about us and what we want financially again. It's not that it's not generous anymore. It's actually greedy. We've somehow managed to flip something special and honoring to God and made it evil when the motivation is our financial gain. Would you give if there was no hope of any return or whatsoever? That is the test. I remember hearing in, in a, a related kind of way, because giving is, giving is not necessarily about money, as, as Greg said before. God gives us all kinds of resources. He gives us time. He gives us abilities. He gives us financial resources. And giving is, I guess, related to all those things. I remember hearing an awesome story from uh, a guy I respect. Um, I think the story was from Martin Steele um, up at Harborside Church in Auckland. And he was talking about about what it means to have a servant heart. And the, the story he, he relates was 
uh, a conference that they were running and they had a large team of volunteers who were serving and uh, to make the conference happen. And, and one volunteer's responsibility was to was part of the care of the guest speakers. And uh, his duties required him to, to visit the, the hotel of of the uh, of one of the visiting speakers and collect this person's uh, laundry to then go away, have it laundered, and bring it back to them. That was just part of the service they had for for the guest speaker. And uh, and this this person, this volunteer, came and uh, and had a had a grievance to bring to uh, to the senior pastor. Uh, and the issue was that uh, this guest speaker, who this person previously had really respected, uh, had pretty much disrespected him by by giving him no gratitude whatsoever for the service that he was performing. And so he tells the story of how he comes up to the door and knocks on the door and says he's come to collect the laundry, and this person kind of hands him the bag of the laundry and then carries on and goes about the business. And uh, this person had an expectation that this person would be incredibly grateful for the, for the service that they provided, and he couldn't believe that this person wasn't going to thank them or you know pray for them or have some kind of blessing. Uh, what kind of person is this that would do that? And our, our friend Martin would just shakes his head and, as a true teacher, found an awesome opportunity to speak in this person's life and teach them what a true servant is. This person thought that he was a servant, but you don't know what it means to be a servant until someone treats you like a servant. So he wasn't serving. He had an expectation of receiving something back in exchange. That doesn't make you a servant. That makes you an employee. You get paid for your services. So he wanted thanks, he wanted recognition, and we didn't get that. Suddenly you saw the true spirit of the person come out. We have an expectation of receiving something back. And that's normal, it's okay. We see that in all kinds of life. But when we bring that attitude in here and apply that to God, apply that to the kingdom, apply it to the church, well, it doesn't work that way at all. Because the riches that we are promised, they aren't actually earthly riches. The treasure that I'm promised, I don't inherit that until I'm dead. The truth is you can take it when you go, but it's spiritual blessings. But instead we're looking for things tangible in our hand right now. That attitude won't work here. That's not building kingdom. The biblical word from which we get the English word charity is harizomai. And that means a gracious gift, a gift that is not earned. And this is how God gives to us. God gave Jesus for us because he loves us. God gives us good things all the time because he loves us and he just wants to give good things to his children. A generous heart compels us to give because we love. So we give to God because we love him. When Mary poured an alabaster jar of nard perfume on the feet of Jesus, a gift that would have cost approximately a whole year's wages, it was not the law of Moses that compelled her to do that. It was love. When she thought about how much she loved Jesus and she was searching for a way to respond, she looked at her material wealth. 
She looked at what would have been her dowry. Ooh, she gave that to him. Because to her, the only husband that she wanted, even if it was just spiritual, was Jesus. And so she gave everything she had. So we should give to God because we love him. We should give to his church because we love the bride of Christ and want her to have everything that she needs to fulfill the mission that God has given her. We should give to those in need as we encounter them because we love all God's children and are moved in compassion just as Jesus was. The heart of generosity is love. And the more we love, the more we will give and give happily. But it's hard. And it's hard because there's something else that we love. We love money and the things that money buys. And we can't help that because we have been born into and raised in a very materialistic culture. It's what our culture produces. We love cars and houses and nice clothes and guitars and flat screen TVs, fishing boats, shoes, guitars. Jesus said we must choose. We will love him or we will love money because you can't love both. They are mutually exclusive. To love God and others as the great commandment requires, we must let go of our hold on money and possessions. We must free ourselves from the hold that it has on us. Greg was preaching that, uh, sharing that word just before from Hebrews about the sin that so easily entangles and these encumbrances that hold us back. You better believe in our culture that encumbrance it is money, it is possessions, it is material wealth. It's always something more that we want. And I know, I get it, because I feel the same thing. But it is holding us back. How do we do that? How do we free ourselves from this stuff? Well, I've come to see that practice helps. Practicing generosity helps shift our mindset and helps soften our hearts for the spirit to mold. There was a time when I used to, I had this idea that I would, I would, I wanted to see everything uh, start from my spirit and my heart and then well up and my spirit and heart would then change the way I lived. And I would, I would be waiting on God to do a work in me uh, so then my lifestyle would change. And what I found as I sat there and active waiting for God to do it all was that nothing was actually changing. Because the truth is God actually had done a work in me, but I wasn't exercising at all. I was I don't know what kind of magic I was expecting to happen that I didn't think the way I used to. But for some reason it was all God's fault because it just wasn't happening to me. Or maybe, I don't know, I wasn't positioned for it. But I was challenged I was challenged it was actually five years ago, uh, by the guest speaker who was speaking here at the rock on my first morning on staff uh, here at The Rock. And uh, 
And this guy profoundly impacted me in a number of ways. Uh, and as he was talking about generosity, he shared a particular story of something God had done in his heart. He'd been challenged through his devotions and his time with the Lord that he needed to be a lot more generous because he, as he looked at himself, he realized he wasn't half as generous as he thought he was. So this guy here, Chris Folsom. And so he put it back to the Lord and said, look, okay, Lord, I get that I'm not the guy I need to be. Can you help me to become a more generous person? What's some things I can do? And so uh, as he processed this with the Lord in his prayer time, he had this idea that there, were, there was always an excuse for why he wouldn't give and he wouldn't live generously. And so he searched just for one example that he could start trying to make some changes because in his heart he had an idea that I want to be generous. And in his heart he had this idea that the Spirit of God was alive in him and that the fruit of that Spirit would be generous. So if he could just give that some room to breathe, he would become the person that God had called him to be. So he would start to try to be generous and in that process uh, his body and his mind and his spirit would all kind of catch up together. And so one idea he had was, well, uh, I always feel this nagging urge to give to homeless people who look hungry on the street. But my answer is always the same. I never have any money to give them. You know, we live in a, a plastic society where we pay everything on, on FPOS cards or credit. He never had cash in his, in his pocket to give to someone who was actually hungry. And so that was excuse. Sorry, bro, I've got no, I've got no cash. And I've used that one a number of times. And I've kind of walked away and, and I've kind of like, oh, I wish I had some money on me. And if I did have some cash, I'm sure I would give it, uh, which may or not, may not be 100% true. But he decided to take away that excuse. So we started carrying around a little wad of $5 notes so that whenever someone asked him for money on the street, someone who was homeless, he would have enough to buy them a meal. Now, this is in the States. And you can actually buy a meal for $5. In the states, and so yeah, that was it. The, the five dollars in his pocket was only for that, for giving to people. And what he did, as he as he got into this habit, he wasn't just preparing himself practically with the means with which to fulfill the need. He had actually prepared his heart. He had made a decision before he left home. I'm going to be generous. When I am presented with an opportunity, I am going to respond to that with charity. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to love. So the work was already being done in his heart. And the practical and the, and the spirit of it were meshed in this beautiful example. And he said that started him on a journey of actually becoming a truly generous person and understanding that everything that God had put in his hands, all the resources he had, were really just God's start to finish. And he was a caretaker, a steward of these things. And that takes him to the point where he can give his favorite guitar to me, a stranger he met that weekend. He could just hand it over and say, this is yours now, because God wants you to have it. I believe that, and everything I have is his. You can only do that when God's done a mighty work in your, in your heart. And it turns out that God can only do that work as we let him. God does not force himself on us. He knocks on the door and we've got to open and let him in. Chris Fulson opened the door and as a result, God did a work in his heart. 
I want to be looking for more and more opportunities to do the same thing, giving God room to do a work in my heart. There's something else we can do. There's a lot of things we can do to develop generous hearts. There's a couple of questions we can meditate on. Firstly, this one. What would you, what would you want people or God to do if you were in need? There are lots of times we're in need and it's not unusual for people to, to have a financial need um, in the times that we live in. And I don't know if you've ever thought about what you would like to see happen when you pray about it or if you have a, a what if kind of daydream. But I've had that. I've thought about when I pray what I'd like to see God do or thought wouldn't it be nice if someone did this. The truth is that most of the time in everyone else's life, we are the someone else. Matthew 7.12 says, we should do to others what you would have them do to you. And when we put ourselves in others' shoes, we're taking a huge step towards empathy and compassion for them. All the things that we would like God to do in our life to care for us and support us, God is doing those things. And he is doing them through people. There are times when, when, when God just seems to, to do something that we feel in our spirit. But there are other times, so many times, when God ministers to us through his church, who listen to him and obey. So many times when I kind of just needed my heavenly father to give me a hug. And instead of having some kind of mystical experience where I felt like God was hugging me, I actually got a flesh and, and skin hug from someone who loves the Lord and felt prompted to do that. And there's something very special about that. So many times when, when God has met a financial need and not by making money mystically appear in my hand or my bank account, but he prompted someone, a person who loves him, to go and give. And that person did because they love the Lord and sometimes because they love me. And I've had the privilege of being on the reverse of that as well. And God being able to work through me to be that blessing. And I never forget those times. And I never forget every single time that God has miraculously provided for me through his sons and daughters. And that is the way he works and he wants to work. God can make things magically appear. And that's a cool trick. But it's not as cool as building the generosity and love in your brother and sister to move them. Because when that happens, you're not the only one that's blessed. They are, and so is the whole church. And that's how a, a generous church is built, by God's people taking care of each other as he prompts them and provides for them. I've prayed that I would have wealth. I've prayed that I would have wealth so that I could give to others. And God doesn't give me that wealth. But he gives it to people who seem to be better stewards than me. People who are probably uh, better at actually giving it away than me. There are much better hands to have lots of money than mine. And I start to understand that now. So I don't pray that I'd have lots of money anymore. But uh, 
I do pray that God would give us everything we need to fulfill his plan for us. So what would you want someone to do if you ran out of gas and couldn't get to Sunday service till your next payday? Because that happens here. That happens here. We have people who don't have the money to put petrol in the car to come here and be a part of what God's doing here. And so they just have to stay at home. What do you do if you're aware of that need? Do you pray for them? What are you going to pray? That God makes someone else generous? Putting aside pride, what would you want people to do if you lost your job and couldn't find work for months? Because that's not an uncommon story here. What do you want to do? You want to, do you want to pray for them? As if God's going to mysteriously make money appear in their bank account because that's the way he works? Is What would you want someone to do for you? What if you were a solo mum with three young kids and no lawnmower and a jungle for a lawn? Going to pray for the lawns? Sometimes we can get a little bit too spiritual about things and not actually be part of the answer. God is looking for people who are prepared to be part of the answer to prayer. It's a cool story in, in Samuel. Uh, Jonathan and his father, King Saul, uh, camped out at the bottom of a hill. The Philistines are on the other side. They know what they're supposed to be doing. They've only got two swords in the whole nation. Jonathan's got one of them. Jonathan just gets sick of waiting. And interestingly enough, sick of praying. He knows God's will. He takes his armor bearer and says, hey, should we just have a go? If God is with us, we will prevail. While his dad, sitting under a pomegranate tree, inquiring of the Lord again. And the Lord wasn't speaking to Saul because the Lord had already spoken to Saul and made it quite clear what he was supposed to be doing. So instead of getting all spiritual on it and praying some more, Jonathan just obeyed and trusted that God would be with him. Sometimes we can over-spiritualize things. God wants spiritual people who also do something with that faith that they have. Another question that we could meditate on is, what has God done for me? We're generally a very forgetful people. The Israelites certainly were. They forgot crazy stuff. They seem to forget the awesome wonder of food falling from the sky every morning. That's a tough one to forget, but they did. And they complained about how God never provided for them. But we forget we forget all the time stuff that God is doing for us, or don't even recognize that it's God. We forget how God shows his love, love to us every day. But the more we meditate on his generosity, the more our hearts and minds can soak it up and our gratitude will well up in response. And so the beloved apostle writes in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. See, Jesus' love, if we let it, is contagious. And we become more and more generous as we come to grasp the revelation of his generosity, of his love. When we think just about how much 
God has given for us. God gave his son. Jesus gave his life for us and provide for us constantly. And the more we meditate on that, we just think, what wouldn't we do in response to that? As a Christian, if you are, I'm sure you agree with the principle of what I'm sharing, right? You agree that God wants us to be generous people with generous hearts who love him and others more than we love possessions. That's a principle you could agree with, right? Mostly. Yeah, okay. That principle, that revealed truth, needs to find an expression in our lives. It needs to move from principle to practice. And that means stepping out in faith and acting on it. Obedience is a good thing. It's an excellent thing, and we're, we're required to be obedient. Discipline is a really good thing. We need discipline. But there is something greater than obedience and discipline, and that is love. When you give because you love, then you have grabbed the heart of Christ, and you have absorbed it and made that aspect of who he is part of who you are. When you give because you love, you find blessing in the giving. When you give because you love, your love will grow and you will find yourself more and more like the one who gave it all. Giving is important in the church because it is a reflection of who God is. It's part of his image. And we were all created as image bearers. To be Christ-like is to be generous. And if we are to truly walk together as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to carry each other's burdens and the burdens of this house together. That means we all serve and we all contribute. And as we all give together to God and his work, he is faithful to provide and meet all of our needs. The needs of the mission of his kingdom here and our needs personally in our families. And interestingly, interestingly enough, we will find for the most part that he has already provided everything that we need. Both our personal needs and the needs of our church community. But to realize that God's people will need to have a good, hard think about the resources that God has put in their hands and what he might like them to do with it. Is it yours or is it his? What does it mean to be a faithful steward of the resources God has put in your hands? I'm sure we've all got plenty to think about on that one, and I know that I certainly do. Because my default option on this is just to think of everything as mine and what I've earned and what I've worked for. And this idea that that God should feel good that I give as much as I do, as if somehow, I don't know, 
he owes me. And that because I've given so much, he really should be giving me something in return. Forgetting straight away everything that he's already given me. My life, my spiritual life, every good thing in my life. Once a year, I... I have a look at my budget, I look at our income, our family income, and I, I'll have a think about what level we should be giving uh, as a regular donation to the church. And as I recalculate that and make sure everything's appropriate according to my understanding of Scripture, some, somehow I come up feeling generous about that. There's nothing generous about that whatsoever. None of that actually is a reflection of a generous spirit. The fact that I'd even feel good about that, I don't know. It shames me a little bit now. But the fact that I'd, I'd, I'd think about that once a year demonstrates how much really I think about God and my finances in the same sentence. And I've come to understand that God is a whole lot less interested in my religious tithe than he is in a life that is generous. A regular contribution to the ministry of the church here is only one expression of generosity and only generosity that comes from a generous heart that is in love with the church and wants to honour God financially, which isn't always the case. But that's just one expression. And if I was to think that I could tithe and I've ticked the generous box and that I'm a generous person now, I have missed the point totally of what it means to be loving and generous. And so what I'm looking for now is the same kind of examples that my friend Chris Folsom was looking for. How can I build generosity into every part of me? That my first response is to act in love and generosity. My assumption used to be when I met a homeless person on the street, if I give you money, I assume you're going to spend that on alcohol and drugs. So I'm not going to give you anything. Now, I'm probably passing this person on Courtney Place. So I'm probably on my way to actually buy alcohol for myself. Or that would have been the case. But somehow I would judge this person and use that as an excuse not to be generous. My first assumption was something bad about someone else rather than an opportunity to give. I know it's only, it's only a parable, but the response of the Samaritan to run and meet that broken, dying person was not to judge them and think that somehow they'd earned that, they deserved it. He didn't wait to get the backstory of what was going on. He didn't check ethnicity. He just acted in compassion. That is a generous heart. I want my first response, whether I get burned or not, to be one of love. So yeah, obviously that's a work in progress in me. And uh, that is the work that God wants to do in us as well. And I've been, I've been really encouraged to see how a church as a corporate entity, and when I say corporate, I don't mean a company, a financial institution, I mean a body, how we are becoming collectively more generous. Stories of, of, of how we've been able to give to ministries over in Cambodia and local ministries here as well meeting the needs of families who are in dire need. I love that we spend 
money that we receive and, and the offering. I love it that we spend it on that kind of thing. Because exactly what the early church was doing with it too. I guess the more that we are generous individually, the more generous our church will become. I am, um, if you know me, you might have heard me in the past quietly or not so quietly complain about how often we used to preach about giving and generosity. Um, but uh, now I wonder if we talk about it enough because um, this is certainly an area that we can grow in and I'm not just talking about growing the tithe, I'm, I'm talking about really just living in what we believe. That generosity comes from love. So I guess that's something maybe we'll share a bit more about that later but I hope there's something in there that you can carry away and not carry away any any sense of guilt. God is looking for people who can give with cheer, who can give with happiness, not people who feel obligated to give. And we're not looking to build any obligation or legalism at the rock. So um, let me just let me just pray for you and myself. Lord, I just want to thank you that you are the greatest giver ever has been or ever could be. And everything good that we have comes from you. Thank you for giving us our lives. Thank you for dreaming us up and creating us, knitting us together in our mother's wombs. Thank you, Lord, that we are your idea and you breathed that into being. Thank you, Lord, that you gave us your son, that you secured our eternity by giving the life of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you would spare nothing to draw us back to yourself. Thank you, Lord, for every hot meal, for the roof over our head, for the clothes on our back, for every physical blessing that we have. And thank you, Lord, that as a loving Father, you give us beyond necessity. You give us gifts just to bring us joy. You're the best dad. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me, you would help my friends here just to carry around a growing awareness of how good you are and what you give and that would receive in that, Lord, a model for us to live the same. That we could respond in the compassion that Jesus did as he met need in his life. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to surrender to the work of your Spirit within us. That we'd become more like you every day. And Lord, I just want to thank you for all the resource that you have poured into our community. And I pray you'd help us, Lord, to grab hold of the vision of what you're doing here and to contribute in every way we can with our time, with, Lord, with our skills and abilities, our giftings, and, Lord, with, uh, with financial resources, Lord, to see your plan fulfilled. You are good, Lord, and we love you. Amen.